Welcome to EWA's FinLit Podcast. EWA is a fee-only RIA based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We hope all listeners of this podcast will benefit as we deep dive into uh, complex financial topics that we will make simplified for you. And we hope that this really serves as a catalyst so that you can make the best financial planning decisions uh, for your family and also save time. Today, we are going to be talking about a follow-up from our uh, topics. If you're married on finances, eight topics we discussed, we're going to now talk about the flip side. Um, if, God forbid, you are getting divorced, you know what to expect. So we first want to start this off with saying... Um, if you have a prenuptial agreement or you know other things already in place, this wouldn't apply to you. For the general you know population who doesn't have an agreement in place, is in a marriage, and is now you know in the unfortunate uh, circumstance of getting divorced, we're going to break down from a financial advisor's perspective. You know what happens, what the timeline is, and what the do's and don'ts are. We are not attorneys. This should not be taken as legal advice. Would recommend that you hire an attorney if you're going down this path to represent you. Um, but we found uh, a lot of perspective because we've helped a lot of clients make this transition or work with clients after because of this transition that's been occurred uh, where clients are looking for a, a new financial advisor. Okay. So, um, Stephanie, let's first talk about, you know, if someone's headed down this path, it really breaks down to there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown. Um, so what would you say are some of the, you know, the biggest factors that, a, a newly divorced person should be looking at. Right. I mean, so a person who's, you know, contemplating divorce or early on in divorce, they're going to be looking at the effects of any potential like credit debt liabilities that were accrued during the relationship that might be left over, how they're going to deal with those. Um, subsequently, the same thing around assets, cash, you know, anything that was accrued during the relationship on the, on the positive side of the balance sheet. Um, we talked about this in the previous podcast as well, but echoing changes to like your tax status. Um, if you have kids, that's a really big consideration because you still have, you know, the expenses associated with the care of those children and custody arrangements, child support, potentially spousal support, potentially, um, as well as, you know, who's going to claim those dependents on their taxes. So quite a bit. Um, so maybe we tackled this kind of in the same order that we tackled yeah, the last podcast. It. So let's talk about, you know, credit debt liabilities that, um, you know, are to that were accrued during the relationship, um, how that can really be a, an effect on yeah, your so finances now. Clients have gone down this path. You know, generally speaking, you know, both sides will have to come up with a balance sheet. Right. So a balance sheet, uh, what's called the date of separation. Mm -hmm. And and then after the date of separation, it's still tracked. But And again, this is not legal advice. It's different state by state. But you're going to have a, this balance sheet that is going to look at every asset you have and every liability you have. Mm -hmm. And if your incomes are generally speaking 50-50, like if the husband's making 200 and the wife's making 200 um, and there's going to be a 50-50 child custody situation, generally speaking, the assets um, from marriage are going to get split 50-50. And in some cases we've seen if there's a breadwinner, let's say making 300 and then the other spouse makes 100, we've seen this tilt to be 60-40 mm -hmm. where the non-breadwinner gets about 60% of the assets and then the breadwinner keeps 40%, basically with the assumption that the breadwinner would have the ability to accumulate and make up for that, that, that right. lost asset. So right. um, if a debt was taken on, such as a school loan, let's say mm -hmm. two doctors got married, um, 
in medical school and the debt was taken on. That's going to be factored into that asset split as well. So, for example, if one spouse has, let's just say the total balance sheet is half a million dollars and it's okay, it's 250 each, it's not that simple. If one spouse has $200,000 of school loans that were taken out during the marriage, that is going to help that spouse get more of the assets because it's not just, you just do the math, if it was a 50-50 split, one spouse would walk away with 250, the other spouse would walk away with 250 minus the 200 of liability, which would now be theirs right. solely. So that would be 50,000. So that all gets taken into consideration to, to figure out that split is anything that was taken on during the marriage or anything that was taken um, from an asset-wise that was uh, accumulated or acquired during the marriage as well. Let's talk about that in reference to like your primary residence. And if you have a mortgage on the home that is, you know, a joint, it's joint ownership, joint liability. I mean, that's a whole separate consideration because we're talking about an asset with an associated liability that, um, you know, is, is something more emotional as well, because it's where you spend the time of your family, your marriage, so forth. Um, maybe somebody's very tied to the home. Maybe somebody is not. And so that's what's a separate negotiation point there as to, you know, does one person remain in the home? Do we sell the home and split the assets, pay off the associated liability? So that's something else to, to consider. Yeah, and that's this is all, you know, if, if things are amicable, hopefully, very few are, <laughs> then this all can be negotiated. Typically right. with the house, you look at, okay, it's worth a half a million bucks. There's a $300,000 mortgage on it. Right. It would cost us 7% of the house value to sell this. So that all gets factored in. What's the <laughs> delta in equity? And if one spouse is staying in the house, then we slide the balance sheet around so that the ending result again is that 50-50 split or 60-40 split. Right. Um, or if, and then the other consideration there as well is typically you have to redo the mortgage to get the spouses that's leaving name off the house. And in today's interest rate environment, you know, potentially we have several clients right now that are going through a divorce and, you know, some banks will work with them. They'll just remove the, uh, the ex-spouse's name mm -hmm. off and they can keep that 3% interest rate. And and some couples we've seen, the, the banks they have will not do this. So they're having to refinance from a joint mortgage at 3% right. to a single mortgage now at like 5 or 6%. Right. So, and actually factoring into that too is can the spouse afford to keep the house? Can one of the spouses, I should say, you know, afford to keep the house um, on their own? based on their income or was it really something that would require both of them, you know, to maintain, um, you know, that asset. So very Absolutely. big consideration. Yeah. Interest rate environment's really interesting as well. Yeah. Nobody really wants to be refinancing today. So, <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that brings us to, so assets, you know, in generalities and nothing's in general, you can expect if you're a non-breadwinner to get 50 or 60% of the assets and if you're a breadwinner to keep 40 to 50% of the assets. But that's right. assets minus liabilities. That's splitting net worth, not just assets. Correct. Assets minus, minus liabilities equals your net worth and that's going to be generally you know, the 40 to 50% or 50 to 60% as a non-breadwinner that you're going to keep. So right. the, then let's talk about ongoing payments. Yes. So if you're a breadwinner and let's just say you have two kids. So let's just use, let's just use some general numbers. One spouse is making 300, one spouse is making 100, you have two kids. Generally speaking, if you want custody to be 50-50, if there's not some outrageous act that was done or some habit or addiction, even in the state of Pennsylvania, because we've had clients that have said, you know, their spouse is doing this, what, forget all the noise. Generally speaking, custody is going to be pretty close to 50-50. And most judges are going to, you know, realize that the kid needs both of their parents. Mm -hmm. We've seen that when 
alcoholism, drugs, I mean, you name it, it's still custody in general can get split. Now, there's obviously exceptions to that, but I see so much attention and name spearing and and really what happens is it just affects the kids right. and the parents hate each other. If you can work this out amicably and uh, from a financial well-being standpoint where you're keeping resources in split name and not handing it over you know, to an attorney with dragging this process out for two years, the more it's going to be much better for your kids. So. Right. Alimony is something that gets negotiated generally. It's based upon income. So if you know one spouse is making three hundred, one spouse is making a hundred, the alimony would get paid from the person making three hundred to the person making a hundred. Usually, that's a defined set of time, right? A couple years. Um, that's again a negotiation. And once that's set, it it, it generally cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important the negotiation is done really carefully because the person paying the three hundred thousand, that's not tax deductible. Right. There used to be some tax benefits to it. There's no tax benefits, so it's literally after-tax money. So to pay three thousand a month, you probably have to earn five thousand a month of gross income to get that three thousand a month, and then the person receiving it receives that tax-free. So that once it's done, once the assets are done, once the alimony is done, those are done, done. Right. What is always modifiable in in Pennsylvania and in most states is anything related to your child, child support, child custody, et cetera. So you could have an agreement where child custody is 50-50. If one parent does something crazy, that could change. And then the, there's formulas, and you can just Google these, that are going to be based upon income. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, like a tax return could be reviewed every single year. And if the $300,000 income is now only making 200000 the child support payments drop. Um, if the if that person is has the the kids at sixty percent of the time, the child support drops. So the the less time you have as the breadwinner, the more you're going to pay, and the more income you have, the more you're going to pay. Right. Now we've had some clients, and this is what we recommend: get into a general rhythm and flow, where that there is an amicable relationship, and there's good communication, and the child support payment is agreed, and it's it's just kind of an agreement where it doesn't feel like because the breadwinner can then kind of feel penalized for making a lot of more income, um, and they can feel like controlled if someone's reviewing if an attorney's like demanding tax returns, and we've just seen that's not a really if possible if there can just be stronger communication and just general agreements to make sure that the the not breadwinning spouse is is just taken care of and has the resources needed to take care of the kids. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I will echo that just from personal experiences that, you know, trying to keep that line of communication, making it as, you know, non litigious as possible is greatly beneficial to the child. And um, I mean, I've seen things structured a number of ways where, you know, there's a base child support um, figure, which is, you know, housing, clothing, the, the basics of life. And then those items that are like above and beyond, because we all know kids activities anymore these days are extremely expensive. They're doing more at higher costs for, you know, even at younger ages, um, that some of those additional costs are split 50, 50 after a certain threshold, things of that sort. Um, and coming to an agreement around if you are indeed having, if you have a big goal of funding your children's education long-term, how does that get taken care of? So that could be something that's included in that. In our experience here, how have clients handled, um, you know, continuing to save for their children's education if, let's say, 529 contributions were coming from the joint income from the bank account, how does that factor in? Yeah, so we we just literally have to revamp the financial plan as if we're dealing with two totally separate, because we are, two totally separate households. So if the both the husband and the wife, you know, retain us after, or the both mm-hmm. spouses retain us after, uh, you know, the divorce discussion that begun, we revamp the financial plan. You know, what does life look like with 
here's what you make minus what money you have to pay. And what's important, education, we agreed you're going to pay all of that based upon the, the divorce decree or the agreement. Um, we just have to revamp it. And then the, the other spouse, the same thing. We have to revamp you know, what, the, what they're living, what the budget is. And it, it's basically like a fresh, uh, a brand new chapter. Right. Well, let's talk about, um, we talked a lot about kids. So obviously when we talked in our last podcast about like when you, when somebody dies prematurely or even just, you know, at an old age, you as the surviving spouse goes back to being taxed as a single person. Same thing happens in a divorce situation where you're married filing jointly, then you go back to filing singly. Um, let's talk about how, if you do have children, how that affects that because you cannot split the child's deduction. One person has to claim the child on their taxes. Yeah. So how do we navigate that? That's One, a little tricky. Yeah. It's again, <laughs> it's part of the negotiation. It's, you could do it every other, we've seen it done every other year where you flip mm-hmm. it. The lower income spouse is going to get a bigger tax benefit mm-hmm. for claiming the kids just based upon how that specific deduction sure. works. Eligibility um, for child tax credits potentially. Yep. Absolutely. And so there's, there is a, that's just part of the total negotiation that needs to be done up front. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about, um, again, another topic we touched on in the um, episode prior regarding marriage is let's talk about life insurance, estate, and what needs to happen then to update all of these things. So obviously, you know, if we go from being in a married situation to single, you know, our wills, our beneficiaries, all of those things need to be updated. And then potentially, you know, I think people, their, their thought process is great. I'm not married anymore. I have less to protect from a life insurance perspective. However, I don't think that's actually the case. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so most most divorce agreements, when it's all said and done, let's just say hypothetically, going back to that example, two 40-year-olds, 30, right. 300,000, 100,000, um, most likely in that divorce agreement, the person making 300,000 probably gonna have about a million dollars of life insurance that needs to be maintained with the beneficiary being the ex-spouse until the kids reach 18. Mm-hmm. And then vice versa, probably there's going to be four or $500,000 that needs to be retained where the non-Brenwitter retains that life insurance until the kids are 18 for the, um, for the ex-spouse as well. So, you know, generally speaking, that's the life insurance is all going to be a part of a negotiated um, part of the divorce. And then once the divorce does happen, a lot of people, you know, they update their wills. They don't know well, beneficiaries always trump a will. So if you have your ex-spouse still named on your 401k, your IRA, which most people don't realize this, they do. <laughs> if you die, all of that money that you didn't intend going to your, your ex-spouse still is dies. going right there. Right. <laughs> so generally we recommend if you're now at find yourself as a divorced single person, you know, work with an attorney, get an updated will, but also get a revocable trust in place. Mm-hmm. And the, re- the reason a revocable trust is going to be important is you have minor kids, you have kids under age 18. And now if something happens to you and all of your resources, you probably won't go into your kids, but you don't want them going to your ex-spouse. If that ex-spouse gets remarried and now all your money is just funding their life and maybe not the kids, maybe that's true or not true, but it's gonna be a thought in most of our clients' heads. So having a revocable trust would make sure there's a landing spot for all of your resources. You're gonna choose a trustee if it's a you know, a, a, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, some kind of trusted contact that can watch over those assets until your kids are 18. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they can become a trustee or you can decide to make them outright beneficiaries. Right. But I think it's really important just to do after divorces, do a total revamp financial plan, figure out cash flow, budget, what lifestyle adjustments need to happen. You need to do a total estate planning revamp and make sure all of your beneficiaries are aligned so you're not passing money off to uh, to an ex-spouse. Right, I love it. 
Um, so let's talk lastly um, just about any like revamps you're going to need to make to your financial plan in general. So we talked about it from the numbers standpoint with taxes and so forth. But let's talk about like goals and, and such. You know, you were saving for joint goals that we talked in the last episode about how potentially saving for retirement, that number increases because you have two people. Um, when we walk our clients through this, do we typically back some of these numbers down then? Do we find that like savings needs change, obviously, right? Yeah, you know, divorce is very... Uh, punitive because you're now going from a good tax status as a married couple to now two single people. So you're already losing money and you're losing more money and you're going to pay some double expenses because mm -hmm. now you have two houses, you have kids going back and forth. So it, mm -hmm. it's, it's very punitive and you're going to lose, you know, generally 20 or 30% at least of what you're used to having yeah. as individuals. Um, because even the non-breadwinner spouse was used to having probably a joint bank account with that 300000 coming in, and now you only have your 100000 coming in plus the alimony and child support, which is still going to be nowhere near what you were used to coming in a joint bank account. Right. So you know, there just has to be a total revamp of the financial plan and you know, fresh beginning and making sure that your money is supporting your life by design. Because if not, you can just get into a... We've seen a lot of clients get into a bad mindset and get these things get dragged out for years, and then all the assets that were accumulated that could be saved for college or retirement ends up going to attorney fees okay. and, and you know, hourly fees of battles of he said, she said, et cetera. Right. So if at all possible, you know, think about what can I do that's the best interest of my kids. And, and most of the time, the best interest of your kids is making sure it's an amicable process where there's good communication and a court system or attorney doesn't have to be present for you to talk to your ex-spouse specifically around you know, how your kids are going to get taken care of. Right. I think um, just one last thought on that as well is if you're the recipient, you know, of the support um, for those children or alimony or whatnot, I think you're going to basically have like a three-tiered financial plan. Like you're going to have what the situation looks like right now, alimony and child support included. And then typically that spells or alimony and whatnot will end much, much sooner, depending on the age of your child, will end sooner than your child becoming, you know, age of majority, 18. Um, so then when that child becomes 18, then typically child support will cease at that point. So you have a very different you know, situation. And of course your job could change, you could, and hopefully your earnings increase, but you need to plan on sort of those things dropping off at various points um, throughout that time cycle so that you're prepared. And um, could be significant in terms of cash flow effect. So, no question. Yeah. That's I think in the money temperature and the budgeting, it's really important to have a financial planner that understands that. And so you're not used to saving, just spending all that money then that drops off and then used to spending that. And that so you need to have a, a clear system in place <clears throat> for those three tiers. It's a great point. Well, I think the last thing that we should talk about, just I think very briefly, that's actually very, very important is oftentimes our clients engage with us <clears throat> as a couple. They come to us, you know, they are you know, either, you know, at some junction in life, something's going on where they seek out, you know, a financial advisor. Um, we work with these people through potentially the birth of their kids, they're getting you know down the road on in life, but something happens and we start going down this path of, of a divorce and separating of assets. I think it's super, super important to remind people that your advisor is impartial and that everything that once you're, you know, the assets are separate, your your divorce couple, we treat that relationship 100% confidentially and everybody, you know, everything's maintained in, in a silo. You know, here's your ex-spouse and your spouse. There's no need to, you know, seek out a separate financial advisor for the sake of confidentiality. That's something that, you know, we take very, very seriously. So no Absolutely. need to uh, no need to find another person if you're going through this situation. We can take care of both parties. So. 
Well, thanks for tuning in. I look forward to catching you next week. Thanks for tuning in to uh, our podcast. Hopefully you found this helpful. Really hope this is as beneficial and impactful to as many people uh, across the nation as possible. So hit the follow button. Uh, Make sure to rate the podcast and please share uh, with any friends or family members that would also find this beneficial. Thank you very much.